Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this opportunity to celebrate that word and experiencing it. Loving God, may we be faithful stewards of our task at hand. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Good evening, friends, and welcome uh, to another fun-filled edition of Scripture Talk. Um, I am Pastor Trey Comstock. With me as ever is Go Brandy. Sister Brandy Dudley, good evening, everybody. Go Scott. Pastor Scott Ketchat, glad you're joining us. And go Stacy. DJ Pumpkin coming to you live from the Grace Boston Grace Pumpkin Patch. Yeah, for those of y'all on the audio version, um, Stacy is calling in live from the Pumpkin Patch. Um, our, uh, our our Pumpkin Patch opened basically on time this year, um, only one day late, uh, and uh, already we have had so many people coming through. Uh, so honestly, if you are waiting uh, for later in the season to buy your pumpkin, uh, don't delay. I, I am I'm seeing a live shot right now. We're, we're reporting live from the Pumpkin Patch. I'm watching a live shot now, and those that. That looks significantly emptier than when we started. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, come check out the patch. Uh, but uh, even even though this is pumpkin season, uh, we are we're actually still an active uh, church congregation, um, uh, which talks about more than just pumpkins. We also we also talk about Jesus, um, and we talk about the Bible. And so our scripture reading this evening uh, is a well known one. Um, I I picked this one in part because anytime you get one of those like Bible stories that people know, I want to pick it so that we can actually dig in and talk about it. Um, it is the golden calf in Exodus chapter thirty two. Verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go, who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings uh, that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Um... And bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and says, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. <laughs> this is the very much, uh, your kid is, you know, uh, your son is awake. Um... The Lord said, Go down at once, your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I have commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and, and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and you and I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, 
Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was the e it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster they had planned to bring his people. Okay, so I play up the comedy because I think it's really funny, the, like, you know, the pronouns of who brought who out of the land of Egypt, right? When God is angry, God says, it is you who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and then Moses throws right back at God, no, it is you who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Um, and admittedly, like, it was somewhat of a team effort, I suppose, but God was the main actor. That's the actual message of Exodus. Um, you can... You know, on some level, of course, uh, you can understand you can understand um, God's frustration uh, with this stiff-necked people, how they um, how they just don't they don't get it. Like they like they this is not that many chapters after the parting of the Red Sea and the utter defeat of Pharaoh, and already they're making you know shrines to false gods, and the subtext is. Um, so it's a, it's a bull and so it's a bull calf. And so it's p potentially Baal, um, this like adversary, um, that keeps coming up over and over again. It's, it, again, we don't exactly know, but like there's some ball, potentially Baal worship happening here too, mixed in with this. And it's just, a, it's a mess friends. Like the scripture is a mess. Yeah. And the whole story has humorous elements all the way through even later on when he finally makes it down and aaron's like oh i just threw it all in and this popped out oh. <laughs> oops right sure aaron uh -huh. but um what, what's interesting is how this is a good example of what happens when we get impatient waiting on god and decide to take matters into our own hands um so, so it, it does point out moses delayed but Okay, a delay, but 40 days was all. That's all, just 40 days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give or take. I mean, you got the, the walking up there, and it said, you know, he Moses delayed. We know that he was up there for 40 days. And so it's just interesting that they're like, hmm, well, I guess Moses is gone. What do we do now? Well, let's make, let's make our own bull. Let's let let's throw this whole thing out the window and let's give and and like there's that extra added element of spite where it is and this is what brought us out of the land of Egypt yeah no right like this is one of the like ongoing like subtexts in um in Exodus is at every moment like every stage of this journey the people keep looking at god and going not thank you for how far you have brought me but what have you done for me lately right they do this so this in preceding chapters there's like the waters at mirabah uh where they're like i'm dying of thirst i'm gonna die in the dead god why did you bring me out of slavery so i could die in the desert 
I don't know why that's the voice for Israel today, but that's the voice for Israel today. Um, and then, of course, God gives them water. God presumably first rolls their eyes, um, and then, um, uh, and and then you know gives them water. And the same thing, like immediately, like immediately upon getting in the desert, like the next chapter um, or two after the parting of the Red Sea, is they're out of food. And the people cry out, why, God, you're going to let us die in this desert? I still stayed in Israel as a slave where I had the food. And then God sends manna from heaven and presumably rolls God's eyes. Um, and so it is, you know, it, it is little wonder uh, that this is where they land because this is the cycle that they have been on uh, presumably for years now. But this does show you that even God has a moment where he's like, okay, that's it. I'm finna zap y'all. I'm yeah. tired of y'all. I'm finna, yeah, I'm finna break my foot off of y'all because y'all just can't quit. Y'all just doing stuff. But even Moses was concerned about his reputation because he's like, whoa, whoa man, because you're going to be talking about you that you done rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh just to bring them out here to kill him. I do oh, like that Moses. I do like that in no way Moses's argument is they don't deserve this. Moses is like, yo, 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 I know they deserve this. <laughs> like, uh, trust me, I've been dealing but with God's you. Doing it. Leave me alone. God, God, you're right. It is not what about the people because clearly the people are garbage fires. It is look, God, they're kind. At this point, they're kind of your garbage fires, um, and you don't want to like Pharaoh to be able to have this thing against you. Uh, so you know, yeah, it's consider your reputation. It is not what about the children of Israel because yeah, mm, they a problem. Once again, I think it's a perfect example. I think it's a perfect example of us being impatient with God. You know, like like you said, you know, they first they were crying about, you know, what about water, and then what about food, you know, and like God's like, be patient, and like I'm getting you there. And oh, I'd like to see you part the Red Sea. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, but it does often end up in that. What have you done for me lately? So. One of the, like, real, like, theological challenges that really trips up how we talk about God and how we talk about this story in particular is the thing that Brandy just alluded to a moment ago, which is, what does it mean for God to change God's mind? What does that mean for God, or, or rather, do you believe that kind of, as the story, the story kind of states you know, literally the quote is, um, in the last verse, in verse 14, is, and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring his people. Theologians have tripped over this with a real discomfort with the idea of God changing God's mind. We have this kind of image of God and this theology around God that God never changes. Uh, so I, I want to know, like, how have y'all, where have you gone in your wrestling with that thought? I, I know, um, it really does play into the immutability that does can God change and what I've often heard and still not entirely sure if it sits great is it says instead of really changing his mind it's more of he knows where he's going he knows what Moses is going to do and ergo he's giving Moses an opportunity to step up and stand in the gap and yeah. uh, be, be with him in the decision to show grace and mercy and sure. th that plays in one way but then again you go well if the holy spirit inspired scripture then why is it that the wording 
that's you uh-huh. because right. I do believe that the wording. And so I, I honestly think there are parts of scripture that are meant to be wrestled with because God wants us to deal well, with how okay. life goes. I mean, Here's my take of it. Now back up and go to Genesis. Uh-huh. Now, same scenario. We're screwing up, doing whatever you want to do. And God says, I, I regret I made y'all. I'm going to wipe y'all out. Boom. And he does that. Starts over. Here we go again with a golden calf. Unappreciative, doing whatever. Okay, I'm going to do it again. But he's got Moses. He's thinking about Moses. They're, they're, they're friends. So I believe he had, a, he had a moment that he's like, okay, that's it. I'm done. But he's like, okay, no, I'm not going to do that because Moses, he's well, trying his best. And because of covenant, right? So look at clearly right. the language that Moses uses. Is what Ma- Moses says is, remember this promise you made, right? Again, it's not that the people are worth it. Clearly they're not. Um, it is, re- think of your reputation, but what would impact, and this, this is, remember, what Moses is pointing back to is what it means for God to be righteous, Right. Mm -hmm. So the righteousness of God is derived from the fact that God keeps God's promises even when we don't. Right. Uh, We can be unrighteous, but God is always righteous. And this is a Moses pointing out how important the righteousness of God is. But Scott's point, the the text, like I have heard that argument, too. Sure. But also the text doesn't give us that. And this is where like. Cons- being consistent as a theologian and as a pastor is a real, or as a person who's got to talk about God in public is really, really challenging. And you've got to work really hard because a lot of the people who will say, you know, oh, this, it doesn't really mean God changed God's mind. It means this are the same people that want to point at a specific verse and say, no, this definitely, it means taken up into the air. Therefore there's a rapture. Okay, but rapture's so, not making in scripture either. I mean, it's, so it's it's in Thessal like an, an idea of being taken up in the air is in Thess- yeah. is in First Thessalonians. Somewhere. Yeah, I mean the, the actual word rapture is right. not listed. Well, yeah. so rapture is just it is a translation of taken up into the air. It's a yeah. Anyways, yeah, uh, that, but that's Trinity not in scripture. You have the idea point to it. Yeah, you know? right. So right, so this was some and, and of so, the theology discussion. It's interesting. Right. But like, so this is where, this is in some ways where we've got to decide as interpreters of scripture, what are, what, what rules do we impose on ourselves as interpreters of scripture and then be consistent in their application, right? If it really matters in one place that scripture definitely says this and not anything else, then here, don't then inject something from outside. Right or do, but understand that then that's gonna when other people do that in other places, that's just in the rules of the game that we're playing. Um, the, this concept is, is the bedrock of what's called systematic theology, which every yes. pastor has to take, um, because what th- systematic theology teaches you is is teaches you information, but it's trying to teach you a thought process of being like consistent or systematic in how you approach your understanding of God, which is fancy word theology, but that's just talking about and understanding God. Because when you make one move here, it impacts other things. 
right? So like, perfect example, if you, um, as, uh, let's go to the Aryan controversy, um, this great <laughs> argument about works righteousness, okay? So Arius makes this posits that most people need Jesus, but not everyone needs Jesus because some people, very rare some people, could earn salvation. They could live a sinless life. Oh, really? So then, so okay, great. So not so you posit that not everyone's going to sin. You throw out original sin. Well, when you throw out original sin, now you open up an opportunity for someone to earn salvation. That's a move you have made, you've posited, maybe someone could live a sinless life. Then from that comes in turn, you can earn salvation and that's a problem. Right? And so if we look here and say well, the text says God changed God's mind, but God didn't really change God's mind. Maybe that's a fair move. But then you start to undermine uh, how we approach Scripture, or, or you start to change how you approach Scripture. And you need to be, like, careful of that and understand the move that you're making. You know, I think uh, in keeping with that mindset, looking at this verse, it's also important to realize it. Sometimes we get things backwards when reading scripture and we forget we are made in the image of God, uh-huh. not he is in the image of us. Uh-huh. And a transference thing that happens, uh, one of which uh, falls into the line of we as humans, when we get angry, we, we sometimes tend to think of anger as being a sin because we tend to act out that anger in a bad way. Uh-huh. Well, if we look at scripture in context, we see Jesus demonstrated righteous anger. And if he is a man without sin and God is without sin and God can be angry, it then falls into how that anger is displayed, not the emotion in of itself that is wrong. There and so we then go. when you right, look at this, right. and we're looking at this situation uh, systematically and we're thinking, okay, God can get angry and not sin. And there's nothing wrong with God getting angry. How did he handle that anger? Well, he didn't wipe everybody out and start over. So that's a good thing. Uh, he also, and, and, and he didn't wipe everyone out, and he, but also, it would, even that, what made that an unrighteous act, what would have made wiping everybody out an unrighteous act, isn't that they had somehow deserved, they'd, that they deserved a different punishment. No, the wages of sin are death, right? Like, yeah. they, they earned that punishment, and that's where Moses' counter-argument becomes really important, because Moses makes a counter-argument of covenant, because God made this covenant to not do that anymore. That's what made that an unrighteous act. And so in some ways, we get this really interesting window into like what it means to be held accountable. We see God in some ways modeling what it means to be held accountable, right? I was just going to say, so Moses in this way, he held accountability for God to remind him about this, right? Right. In, in a similar way um, to Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, another time where we butt up against, like, what's going on here. So we, I, we've talked about this on the show before, but, like, basically, you know, Jesus encounters this Syrophoenician woman. Um, and, uh, you know, almost rejects her, but then ends up not doing so, right? Mm-hmm. Because she offers a word of accountability um, back to, you know, the nature of God's love. And then... It, it ends differently. And so we, we see this moment of, of Jesus receiving a piece of accountability. And I think, yeah, I, I think this speaks to 
we get it in our mind somehow that we should never that we sh- that we like God, quote unquote, should never change our mind. And yet, sometimes when you're presented with new information, it is very healthy to change your mind uh, as, as humans and certainly as Christians. You know, as we're sitting here talking about this, I'm thinking of uh, David and Bathsheba. Yeah, N- not his sin, but she was pregnant, and part of the uh, thing that uh, David was told was that that child was going to die. As- part of the punch it was just going to be a lost baby and we see david refraining from eating refraining from doing things and so when he did pass they were scared to go and tell him but when they did tell him he gets up goes cleans up and starts acting normal again instead of the and and he's questioned about that and i know this is very quick synopsis but in that he makes a statement that essentially says you know while there was still an option i didn't know if god would have mercy and maybe going to him and crying out, he might have mercy. And so that, and then what Moses does, is part of an example of why when situations are going on, we can have faith that, you know what? Prayer may change things. Yes, It's not true. something that manipulates God doing something, but it's entering into a conversation of real relationship that may very well change the situation. And so it is always regardless of what the uh, appearance is or what the word from someone else is, taking it to God and just saying, you know, in your word, you said this, reminding you of the promises you've given me. How does that apply to this, God? I'm asking for mercy, knowing that very well. Go ahead. You even see it in something we talked about recently, too, the story of Jonah, right? Yeah. God does not, and like this is what Jonah gets mad about, right, is that God doesn't, you know, you proclaimed this devastation and then you blanked, God. I knew you were going to do this. This right. is why I didn't so want to do this. Jonah at least had an understanding of expecting God to get him out. be moved and have compassion yeah. by true repentance. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, and, so here's, here's my opinion. Why can't God change his mind? He's, a, he's the most question. powerful being in the whole world he can do anything but he's not allowed to change his mind right i mean that that sounds very hypocritical to me so (sighs) so okay in some ways like i don't think so um i i am comfortable with this concept of sometimes god can be moved right moved with compassion Uh, it's just we have built we sometimes we build theological castles that then we we assume that the theological castle we have built is true rather than turning to the primary evidence we have of God, which is to, which is, you know, a few things, right? It is what scripture says. It is how God's moved in our lives. It is what's been handed down to us. And that's the theological castle tradition. Um, but it's also like, you know, God, you know, God's ongoing presence, both in scripture and in our lives. Um, but, but this is also where I think we butt up against needing to be un needing to be comfortable or being okay being uncomfortable with a certain amount of uncertainty about the nature of God and about about who this being is that we worship, right? Um, one of the like one of the greatest lessons I think a theologian can learn is understanding what you can say. And what you don't really understand and being okay with there being stuff you don't fully understand because God is so much 
bigger and vaster and smarter and more powerful than we are that we're not going to be able to wrap our heads around all of it. And that's okay. So we had the concept of prayer, like anything that we pray for, we'll get, you know, we had that concept, but God can say yes, no, or not yet. It's, or that's a terrible it's idea. his will at the end of it all. Right. <laughs> they had uh, that concept. Yeah. And like, I'll be honest, right. I do not, I've been a, pastor for seven years. Uh, I have a degree in theology from a reputable university. Um, I spend hours in scripture every week, right? Um, Spend hours in scripture today. I do not fully understand the interaction between God's will and our prayers. I don't know. I do not fully understand it. And I'm okay with the fact that I don't fully understand it. I know that scripture tells me and my own life experience shows that I need to pray and that praying matters in some way, but it does not always matter in the way like, and then the thing changed. Sometimes the thing changes. Sometimes it doesn't change. And I don't know what that relationship is. And so to me, that is one of the great mysteries of this life that I I pray is answered for me someday, but I'm also comfortable with that's a mystery I don't fully understand, and that's okay. Right. But we need to right. be okay like, with not fully getting it. I, I, I mean, I, that's what I believe. I believe, like, God has a plan. He started out with a plan. You know, just like a, a builder builds a building and he has plans. But then you have to, like, put the variables in it, and different things can happen. Like, okay, well, this, this happened here, so now i got to compensate for this over here. You know, it, it, it's, you're right. We don't understand it for all we know. You know, God's sitting up there and we're going along and he's like, oh, no, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Change that over here. You know, it's like, I guess it's almost like him, God, I picture God painting a canvas. Yeah. You know, and he's like, and, yeah. he's, and he's, he's painting and then like he gets to a part and he's like, nah, I'd like a little more yellow over here. And he goes back and he adds a little yellow over here, you know. Just enough that we maybe maybe we don't, uh, you know, we don't notice it, but he does. Yeah. Well, it's as how he's infusing our free will into the thing. Nothing's going to stop his plan, but sometimes he then has to uh, pull a Bob Ross and take a mistake we made and turn it into a happy little bird. Yes, right. oh, exactly. Absolutely. Romans, Absolutely. all things work out yes. for the good of the I just been saying, you know it's going to be good. It doesn't mean all things were intended to be perfect or that all Thank things you. were going to be great, uh-huh. but they can Amen. be twisted when we let him take a hold of it to get it back into the right way. Just like on the whole, you know, can God change thing? You know, there's a difference in the fact that his nature and who he is Amen. as an essence will never change. But does that equate that, he doesn't change how things go about or how uh, things have to happen because of our own free will, not necessarily making the greatest of choice. And then it's, again, it's really, really blows our finite minds when we start thinking about the fact that, well, he allows us that choice and he already knows what we're going to do. And so he's already made allowances for that probably long before we came to that choice. And this is right. why sometimes we just have to take things by faith because it'll really blow your mind when you start trying to figure out all the ins and outs. Well, and I think the other piece of it is to understand that part of the nature of God is holding intention to what seems radically um, separate, um, radically at odds ideas of justice and mercy. 
right? Of uh, of ra- or, or phrase another way, wrath and compassion, right? We we talk often about God's wrath, perhaps in evangelical Protestantism, not enough about God's wrath, perhaps. I'm not saying fear ye the wrath to come, but you know, fear ye the wrath to come. Um, but then also we talk about judges, God, God's not just judgment, but God's mercy, God's compassion, God's grace, right? And, and that must always enter the com- conversation. But the truth is, is those two things are at odds with one another, right? Or would seem to, to our human minds that, you know, justice and mercy are polar opposites. And yet God rep- somehow in God's, inf- in God's infinity and in God's infinite greatness is able to enca- encapsulate both justice and mercy. It's worth remembering that scripture itself opens with a conundrum. There seems to be two stories of creation, and yet they're not, right? Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell two different stories about the nature of creation and about the nature of God in creation. One is a big picture story about how God is orderly and powerful and able to bring order out of chaos. Um, and then the chapter two story is God dealing with extremely chaotic humans um, with a mixture of justice and compassion. And, and they are two different stories and they paint two different pictures of the nature and truth of God. And so mm-hmm. when, when we are offered up simple answers, in some ways, maybe we should be skeptical. Maybe in some ways what the people who built the golden calf wanted was they wanted something simpler than this true, infinite, infinitely powerful, and infinitely complex God. Um, anytime something gets thrown out as a heresy over the over Christian history, it is often simpler explanations. Oh, no, no. Jesus isn't really God and human. That's impossible. He was really like God, like, sitting on a human form. Nope. It wasn't. Somehow it's super complicated in being both human and divine at the same time. Deal with it. That often when we get in trouble is when we want to simplify who God is. Yeah, see, I think, I think, go ahead, Brandon. Well, I was going to say, so I I think the whole thing is God doesn't want us to be a bunch of automatons. He wants us to think for ourselves. And I think that's the reason why he leaves a lot of the stuff he does a mystery to us. So we can think and we can figure this out. That way we're not just, because what I, I guess, look, if I was a person or a being, an ultimate being making something, God I would, it wouldn't be fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God help us. Oh, God help us. But if I was making it and, and I, I was making like humans or something and I, wouldn't it be boring to me to just make them all, okay bow to my will, do everything I say, and every day you're going to do what I say. After a while, you'd be like, oh, this is boring. Next. Right. You know. Sure. And I think there's also, like, part of an, part of, part of an example of God's go- goodness, of God's self, selflessness, is that we have, that we are created with an option to not follow God. Right? Fundamentally. We always have, as the Israelites demonstrate um, in today's scripture, there is always an option to not follow God. And yet, mm-hmm. even every, even here in this moment where Moses reminds God of covenant, like the end of this story is God doesn't wipe them off the map and instead keeps them going. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, that, you know, God is righteous even in our unrighteousness. And what the righteousness of God means is that God keeps God's promises even when we don't. 
And that's the, the, the bedrock of our relationship with God is that God is righteous and therefore just in whatever punishment, but also God is merciful uh, and keeps that promise of offering mercy to all who seek it. And that, you know, again, that is, it's truly powerful. Here's something to blow your mind. How do we know that God's not learning from us? That's an interesting question, right? So, he knows us before we were right, even yeah. born. But, so he already knows how we're going to function while we're being conceived in our mother's womb. But it, do it we really know that? Today, I mean, it says, like, yeah. you know, that, that does get to the nature of knowledge. But, like, Scripture says, right? Like, we have a lot of, and it's not just, like, one or two, right? Like, the idea, one of the things that is consistent through Scripture is that, like, God see either sees or knows or has some no, knows what we're going to do is just able to you know adapt respond respond and overcome right um, a, a, an infinite number of things but that God this idea this idea of what's called God's omniscience right um, yeah. God's all knowingness comes from these ideas of like God knew us before we were born um, you know Christ is there at creation and so. God's got it mapped out. What we see is um, this infinitely faceted plan playing out in the midst of incredibly messy and, fr- and hu- messy humans with free will, and involves. Oh God, I talk about so much. Oh, this was in Revelation from the other week, from last week, um, from last week. Sure look like sure looks like the end times. Uh, where in I think it's Revelation seventeen, you get this image of God using the enemies of the Lord to defeat each other. And thus, a, uh, thus accomplishing God's ends, and that should give you a really scary window into God. Sometimes that sometimes mm. God like use is able to use God's own enemies uh, to achieve God's ends, and just step like like in judo, just steps back and lets God's own the momentum of God's own enemies get the job done. Like that is a scary level um, of, of tactical and strategic genius, um, that, that sits at the heart of God, um, that but really how do, like, should terrify us. But how do we know that God's not sitting there looking down at us and he's going, okay, he's seeing all this going on. And then something happens that he's not even expecting. And he's like, Hmm, that's but, interesting. But okay. I'm, looking at Jer- I'm looking at Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, even though he's talking to Jeremiah at the time, he still said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Yeah. Before you were born, I set you apart. So he already knows what we're going to do, when we're going to do, and how we're going to do it. We just don't know that. You right. know, he knows everything. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. That's right. just ground zero for that. There's no, uh, he don't know. He like knows the, everything. In some ways, it is a core, like, core belief in scripture that... God knows what's going to happen and is able to route around it, right? So how do we know it is, this is part of what the testimony of Scripture tells us about the nature of God, um, is is that, that God sees it coming in and is instead, instead um, routing, around our own, uh, routing around our mistakes and fallenness rather than uh, being surprised by it, you know? Nothing, nothing new. For God, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, that's probably as good a place as any to end it. 
Um, thank you so much for joining us on another freewheeling, freewheeling and fun-filled um, adventure uh, through Scripture. If you have any comments and you'd like to add to this conversation, uh, please uh, throw them uh, either if you're here on Facebook, uh, throw in the Facebook comments, joining on YouTube. YouTube comments, you can go to our website, uh, palestinegrace.com slash video. Uh, you can email us, uh, gracechurchpalestine um, at gmail.com. Uh, we have an audio-only version of the show um, that goes up after the fact. Just search Scripture Talk by Grace Church in your pod catcher of choice. Um, and certainly we will be back here next week with another edition. What I am scrolling infinitely trying to find is we had a comment on last week's show. And where is it? Joe Catchut had a great come not going to find. Yes, maybe. Is this last week's show? That was September 28th was last week. Okay, yep. here we go. Let me see if I can get this to come up without Oh, by the way, uh, click click like and subscribe and don't forget to bring your butts out here to the pumpkin patch and get you a pumpkin. There we go. So we we had a comment come in um right at the end of last week's show and we did not get it read. Um and from Joe, and it says, well, all characters, aside from the robber, claim to have faith like churches now and those who are working for the church and talk down on others when they don't see the work of others and judge them. But God sees what they do and help in his work. And we are hypocrites um, as we all all as we fail all the time. The difference is we repent and try to change. Becoming a Christian isn't an instant ticket to perfection. Um, and I thought that was just a great addition uh, to last week's show um, that we just did not get to. And so thank you, Joe, for adding that. Yes, um, hypocrisy is one of the great challenges, and, and church leadership certainly does not escape that. Um, so again, if you are watching this, whether live or after the fact, and you have um, a comment that you think we'll add, please um, leave those comments and we will make sure they got get read. We'll be back with you uh, with another edition of Scripture Talk uh, in just seven days' time. Uh, go in peace, love, and serve the Lord. Remember, fear not. Stay well. God is with us. Oh, wrong song. There we go. And now we dance. Everybody dance. Yeah. Everybody dance now.